Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. you, Sarah. That's awesome. My name's Scott. Okay, I hadn't had the privilege of meeting yet. I'd love to do that maybe on the way out. Uh, and thanks for being here with us. You know, even if you're online and maybe you're just wanting to catch your local area sports teams event taking place and you're missing this, you can catch up afterwards even online. Uh, and or if, um, you know, you find this fascinating or if you're like, I really, really, really want my 17-year-old son or my brother-in-law or sister-in-law to hear this, you can always catch up on our app or on our website as well, and we also have our discussion questions that our life groups kind of oftentimes track with what we talk about here. Those are all available as well. Now, next week is going to be week four, and I just want to give you a little bit of a heads up about what's happening next week. You really, really, really don't want to miss this, and if you're traveling, just tune into this as well, because we're going to talk about the story of Samson, and it's this really spicy story. And you don't want to miss any of that because we're going to go over all of that and you're not going to be bored. In fact, if you were wondering what's the week when I should bring a guest, this is the time when you can invite someone because they might be like, I didn't agree with anything you said, but at least I didn't fall asleep in church. This is the opportunity for you. And if you have kids, that might be a week where you want them in Grace Kids. And if you have teenagers, you want them in the front row because we're going to go over that story and all of its glory and I think it will be a great, great time together. So that's next week. Now, before we jump into this message, I just want to ask a question so maybe we can all be heading in the same direction here this weekend. Just something to think about as we talk about the topic here today. Here's the question for all of us, for all of us. Here it is. Do you really want to be like everyone else? Do you really want to be like everyone else? Do you want to be average? Do you want your marriage to be average? Do you, want, you, you know, do you want you to date like everyone else? Do you want your finances to be like everyone else? Do you want your kids to be like everyone else? Have you ever sat down and made that thought, you know what, I want to be like everyone else. I want my morality to be like everyone else. Have you ever sat down and wrote down that goal, that goal for your life that I want to be like everyone else? Parents. Do you want to raise your kids to be like everyone else? The same time, as we think about that question, the truth is, for many of us, we're kind of like everyone else. And I, I just want to talk about this, maybe for the next few minutes here together, to get in the same direction. And I want to talk about everybody else, because we're not talking about us, right? We're talking about everybody other than us, because everyone other than us, they want their life to look like a beer commercial, right? They want it to look like life is good, times are fun, I'm young, I'm around all sorts of young people, I don't have debt, I don't have worries, I don't even have a job, and every evening I head into the glorious time with this rockin' soundtrack, and life is wonderful, there's no debt, there's no worries, it's all smiles. That's the beer commercial. And everyone else kind of wants their life to look like that. But it doesn't. 
Because everyone else, they've got lots of anxiety. Everyone else, you know, they're in debt. They're worried. Everyone else has marriages that are a little bit rocky. And everyone else, man, they don't want to turn into their parents. So the very thing that they, they, they want to stay away from, when they start to pursue that, they turn into exactly like their parents, like we talked about that last week. Everyone else doesn't enjoy what they have because they're so busy running after the things they don't have that they can't even enjoy the things that are right in front of them. That's what everyone else has. Everyone else drinks a little too much. Everyone else has taken some stuff and you wonder why they're, only, like, why they're always happy but they're just chemically happy you know, until they take a little bit too much and then you're like, I don't know that this is real. This is too good to be true. What's up with them? They're acting a little strange. That's everyone else. Everyone else is trying to manufacture happiness. And in this world of everyone else, single women, they're afraid they're going to be single forever. And so they kind of troll with their bodies to get the attention of other men. And then they wonder why the relationships always go the same way time after time. And everyone else, single guys, are thinking, man, why would I ever get married? Because I can have the primary benefit of marriage without having to have the commitment of marriage. Besides, I can't find the perfect woman because I feel like every time I find the perfect woman, they've got these daddy issues and then they're not really that perfect and so I just have to keep moving on and then once I find that perfect woman, you know, it's like she's gonna change if I get married and no more of that changing stuff. So, you know, marriage is like a maybe. It's like a maybe not. Besides, I've never really seen a marriage that I'm all that excited to, to copy in my life. In the world of everyone else, married women... They're hoping their husbands are going to remain faithful because their girlfriends just kind of say, I don't know, I don't know if he's going to stay faithful to you. I don't know if you can trust him. And in the world of everyone else, married men, they're wondering, do I have to remain faithful? I mean, I'm my friend, he's got this side fling going on and he can kind of get away with it. And I wonder in my life if I can get away with that too. And they kind of wonder what that would be like. In the world of everyone else, every teenager, even though they will not admit it, they really, 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 really care what other people in their high school think about them. And even though as parents you sit down with them, you plead with them and you say, you realize that in three to four years they're not even gonna be in your life anymore. Why would you trade your joy and your contentment for someone that's not even gonna be in your life anymore? Because that's just how high school operates. And in the world of everyone else, college students are just wondering, man, is this job market gonna dry up? Am I going to be able to pay off my debts? I can't even control the economy anyway. I mean, that's not us, right? That's just everybody else. And everyone else just wants it to be like a, a beer commercial. And you look at that, and you're like, how do they accomplish that in their lives? And, and then you realize this. You know what they do? Is they pour the beer, and they hold the beer, but they never drink the beer and you're just thinking, maybe that's the secret. You know, I can hold the beer and I can pour it in the cup, but maybe if I never drink it, then, you know, life will be okay. And that'll be good. And some of you are like, I'm really glad I came to church today. See, honey, that's what you should do. You should hold it and pour it, but never drink it. Then life will be okay. And that's the key to happiness. But here's what the truth is, and you guys know this. The truth is that everyone else is taking their cues from everyone else. And some of us, maybe most of us, we're taking our cues, and you don't even have to write this down, but if you take your cues from everyone else, you're going to end up like everyone else, right? 
And the problem with doing this, this, this is the problem. The problem with taking our cues from everyone else is that we're taking our cues from their highlight reels, not their whole life. We're seeing the highlights of what they experience. We're seeing them at their best. Now, the only time you get acquainted with someone's valleys is when you're actually in a deep relationship with them and you just think, man, they don't have their stuff together anyway. But when we look at people from a distance and we see these highlight reels and when we do, man, they're happy and they're smiling and they're rich and their cars never get dirty and they always seem to have a job and they're going on these amazing vacations and I'm stuck at home and they're desperately in love with one another and they're so cute and they're always in shape. And, and the problem is, is that when we take our cues from other people, it's always looking at their highlight reels. But here's what you don't know. You don't know that they're in counseling. You don't, you don't know that they've had arguments at home just about every day. You don't know that they haven't had sex in probably nine months and they just look like it and act like it happens all the time. You don't know that six months from now they're going to check into rehab for a year. And you just don't see that coming. And you don't know what people are taking. And you might see them and you say, I know how much they're drinking in public, but you don't know how much they're drinking in private. And you have no idea what their relationship with their kids are like. See, when we take our cues from other people's highlight reels, here's what else we don't know. We don't know what's actually happening on the inside. We can look at the outside and it can look polished and beautiful and happy. But when we don't see what's happening on the inside, we don't see the regret and the scars and the shame and the guilt and if many of us, you know, were to sit down and we were going to tell our story to one another, we would say, if only you knew. If only you had known. In other words, if you would know that, that what it takes to live like this on the outside, how that makes you feel on the inside, you would have actually made a different decision, a different choice. Because no one ever talks about this part. No one, but if you had known... If you had known, if you could peer into the hearts of these people that we copy and we emulate, and they would say, you know what, you don't know what it feels like on the inside. You just see what happens on the outside. You would have made a different decision. See, that's the problem that happens when we decide to look like everyone else is that we decide to do what everyone else does. And we would look at that and we would say, well, it looks like it's working for them, so that must work for me as well. And essentially, we've done what we've been talking about in this whole series, is that we end up doing what's right in our own eyes. Let's be really honest for a moment. Many times in doing what was right in our eyes, we have abandoned doing what was right in our own hearts. And there was this tension then. Now that we're on the other side of these adult decisions and we're on the other side of these adult lifestyles and you're on the other side of this sort of relationship and even though you never intended to, and I could sit down, each of you, and I know that you would never say, hey, I intended to be just like everyone else. But you ended up being just like everyone else because you did what everyone else did. And so here's the question, and then we're going to move on into the topic and the text for today. Do you really want to be like everyone else? Do you really want to be like everyone else? So let me ask it this way. 
Do you want to continue to be like everyone else? If not, if not, and I'm so glad you're here today if you feel that way, and glad you're dialing into this. The, the good news is that there's a way out because your perfect, loving, heavenly Father wants something different for you, does not want you to be like everyone else. He wants something different for you, and it's possible regardless of where you are right now, and it's possible regardless of where you have been, and it's possible regardless of the choices that you've made, and regardless of how many times you ignored that still small voice inside you that said, I just don't think this is a good idea, but then you looked through your own eyes, and you saw, and you listened, and you went in that direction. There is a way out. Now to get us there, we're going to hop into the section of scripture that we've been studying. We're going to go back into the Old Testament, a book that's called the Book of Judges. Now this happened around 1380 BC. This is an ancient text. It was a period of Israel's history, about 300 years. And it was a, a period of time between when they entered the promised land and before they had a king in that space. It was the time when Joshua kind of finished his thing. They're in the promised land and before King David takes over. This is the time after when Moses and Pharaoh and let my people go right and then they're wandering through the desert and then Moses dies and he passes the mantle of authority over to Joshua and Joshua is now leading the people he wasn't a king but he was just telling them about God's law and it was this amazing experiment can a nation be led by law and not by a king that wouldn't be tried again for thousands of years until the United States was this grand experiment where we don't have a king we're just by the laws and so Joshua would carry the laws that God gave them to govern who they were but then Joshua, he, he gets ready and he's, he's going to die and he's looking at this group of people and he gives them this huge speech and he launches them into this period of time where they wouldn't have a king, God would be their king, it would be this theocracy. And he warns them and he speaks to them about how he sees and how he understands, thing, understands things. And what happened in this period of time where they had no king was this cycle a cycle where they knew what they were supposed to do, but then they disobeyed it. They disobeyed God's law, and then disaster would inevitably happen. They would call out upon God. God would deliver them through some way, some kind of leader, some supernatural thing. And then they would say, I'm never going to do that again. And we know what that feels like in our own lives. I'm never going to do that again. And yet, just like you and I, guess what they did? They did that again. And then they would disobey God, and then this disaster would happen, and then God would come and deliver them. And the question that we asked in the very first week was this, is how would you respond if you were God, and you were looking at a group of people that you loved, and yet you said, hey, these are the, this is the way that you should operate, and they continued to act in rebellion, they continued to do whatever was right in their own eyes? How would you respond to them time and time again? In our life group, I shared, man, I am just not, I'm not that kind. If I were God, I'd be like, that's it, man. Buddy, you're out of here. I'm not putting up with this anymore. I have given you mercy time and time and time again. I have been so patient with you. I would be done. And yet, this is what the book of Judges shows us. And honestly, I think this confronts many of our understandings about who we think God might be. Because in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, what we see is not a God who has my heart, but he's a God of compassion. And he's a God of mercy. And he receives them back time and time 
and time again because listen, he's not a God that's going to force his will on you. Now, you do something stupid, there's going to be consequences. You're going to have to pick up the pieces of all of that. But he's not going to abandon his people. And so over and over again in the book of Judges, we just see that flesh out. We see that come to fruition. They rebel. God brings them back. And then as we approach the end of the book of Judges, we talked about this in the first week, it was such a chaotic absolute disaster. Reading the book of Judges is a lot like going to the Holocaust Museum. It's not fun, but it's very good, right? It warns you, this is how bad the human heart can get. That's what the end of the book of Judges was, and Samuel ends the whole thing, and this is what he says. He says, in those days there was no king over Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and it was absolutely chaos. And it was a disaster. And we said this last week because when they entered into the promised land, they looked at these people around them and they copied them and they emulated them. And they said, hey, whatever they've got going on, we want some of that. And so they would copy their lifestyles. And when they did that, the very people that they copied were the people that put them into captivity. And we said that's very much like you and I. This thing that masters us, this thing we wish we could get away from in our lives and our hearts, these patterns, these ruts we've kind of found ourselves in, this thing we never wish we would have started, we drifted into it because we saw it as something that looked pleasurable and enticing and that thing that captured our imagination now has captured our time and it's our, captured our money and now we can't even say no to it if we wanted to. And this happened with the nation of Israel as well. They saw these people and they wanted to have life like them and then it caught them as well. All because they said, hey, let's be like everybody else. Now, all of that could be avoided It could have been avoided for them and it can be avoided for us as well if we would simply follow some simple advice that Joshua gave the nation that they forgot, that they ignored, that caused them to trip and fall over and over and over again. And my hope would be that as we look at these words that we would consider that for our own hearts, for our own lives, for our families, for our children and that we can apply this to us. And perhaps... Perhaps at the end of the day, we won't be just like everyone else. If you have one of the orange Bibles under some of the chairs there, you can open that to page 162. We're actually gonna be kind of at the transition of the time of Joshua into the time of these judges. We're gonna be in Joshua chapter 23, verse 12. Page 162 in those orange Bibles. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible Just take one of these. We'd love for this to be the gift for you and you can start reading in that. That can be yours. And this is what Joshua tells them. In Joshua 23, verse 12. He says, if you turn away, if you turn away from God, if you turn away and you ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you. Hey, look, you're going into the promised land. You're kind of setting up your house. You're setting into this space. There's going to be people around you that used to live there. 
people who got there before you and they're living in the land and he would say you have to be hospitable. In fact, Moses even gave laws and rules about how you got along with those kinds of people and to be good neighbors and, and even though they're foreigners, you know, you don't treat them like foreigners. So this isn't like a racial thing. This isn't a we versus them kind of thing. This, this is about you're going to live amongst these people and you're gonna rub shoulders with them and you can't align yourself to their values. You can't embrace their lifestyle and their culture, and specifically, you can't worship their gods. And when you find yourself amongst them, you need to differentiate yourself. And you're gonna work around them, and they're gonna work around you, but you can't take your cues for how you live from them. He says, you can't do that, or, verse 13, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes. He says, look, if you start looking, then you're gonna start drifting and then you're gonna start lusting and then you're gonna start compensating and then you're gonna start embracing. And he says, listen, I'm telling you, the reason that you're gonna move in their direction is because you're going to find it attractive and it's going to look good to you and you're going to move in that direction because you think that it's going to end up having a happy ending for you the reason is you think it's going to be appealing but I'm warning you Joshua says it's going to be a snare it's going to trap you it's going to be whips on your back and thorns in your eyes we you think it's going to be freedom for you but freedom has fangs and it's gonna trap you. In other words, it's the very thing that we kinda already talked about, this thing that's mastered you in the beginning, it was appealing, it looked attractive, and now, now it's unsettling. And it looked like a great pastime, but it's actually a pathway, and now you can't say no to it anymore. So Joshua says, don't look, don't look to them for your cues in life. I once had a professor Dr. Dr. Soto, who would say this, he would say, you can look up for inspiration and you can look down in desperation, but do not look left or right for information. And that's exactly what Joshua was saying. Look up, don't look out. Look up to me, don't look out to this world around you because it's going to look attractive and it's gonna captivate you. But there's, see, there's, there's the worm and then there's the hook. The worm is it looks attractive to you. The hook is that it's going to ensnare you. See the hook, not just the worm. It's gonna be something that becomes a whip, thorn in your eyes, he says. So let's just, I just wanna talk about this for a second. Let's just kinda like, we'll get back to the, the text in just a moment. But isn't it true, isn't it true that there are some things that each of us could say, I wish I could unsee that. I wish I could unsee that. And just for a moment, I'm not even talking about people. I'm just talking about things, right? For some of us, you had a neighbor, you had a friend who said, hey, come, come get in my car. And you get in, the, in their car, and you're like, man, my car, my car smells like teenagers and toddlers. Their car smells like leather. You know, and their door, like the door closes and makes that new car door, like, and you have to like lift your door so that it can actually like get in there and close. And, and you think, man, my, my car just smells like old yogurt cans and Cheerios smashed into the carpet. Before you had ever stepped into that, you were completely content with what you have. And now you have this payment you can't get. And you just wish, I wish I had never 
gone into that in the first place? Or how about you wish you had never even visited their home? I was content until I saw what this thing that they had. Or maybe you wish that when you saw her, instead of taking that second take, you would just look the other direction. And isn't it true that there's some of us that could look back at our lives and we would say, I wish I could unsee that person. I wish I could go back and undo that because it so dramatically changed the course of my life. And if I could go back to when I was 21 or 25 or 35, my life might be different. Don't you just wish there were some people that you could go back and you could unmeet? And if you were to go back, you could say, I wish I would have never returned the call. I wish I had deleted that text. I wish I had never tweeted that. I wish I had unfriended them. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. And when you look back at the tapestry of your life, that crossroads where you had the epicenter of all the tragic pain and suffering in your life could be traced back to some of those decisions to, dis- to pursue that relationship. And when you did that, there was something inside of you that was going, uh-uh, 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 you shouldn't be doing this. The problem was, it was a small voice, but there were louder voices yet, and you did what was right in your own eyes. And your eyes drew you in this direction, and it looked attractive. And then when you started stepping into it, it became a snare. That's just what happened with the nation of Israel. Isn't it, isn't it true that things that capture our attention eventually impact the direction of our lives? Isn't it true that the things that capture our attention eventually capture our affections and now it starts to determine our direction and now all of a sudden we're not living from the inside out but we're living from the outside in. And the next thing you know, you're living just like everyone else and you're dating just like everyone else and you're in debt just like everyone else. And listen, and I, and I know this, if I sat down with all of you, you never had a time in your life where you thought, I want to be just like everyone else. And yet you can look back to a time when you saw and it was attractive and you stepped towards it and you could say, I wish I could undo that. He goes on and he says, they'll be like thorns, they'll be like thorns in your eyes, back in the text, and it'll be like whips in your back. You know, it started off good, but it ended up bad, and he says, until you, now this is a big verse, and we're tempted just to like glaze over it, but don't, just stop and think about this for a moment. He says, until you, and you being the nation of Israel in this case, until you perish from this good land that the Lord your God has given you. And this is, so, this is so important, this is so important. Some, see, some of the struggles that the nation of Israel had is some of the struggles that you and I often have when we think about God. And that is that we think that God is somehow trying to keep good things from us rather than giving good things to us. You know, they probably felt, you know, if I follow God's laws, if I have to stay in this cultural, con- I'm going to miss out on what I see around me. And God's knowing, God is saying, listen, no, 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 no. If you, if you obey my law, you're not going to miss out on something good. If you obey my law, you're actually going to miss out on something bad happening in your life. God's going, I'm not trying to keep something good from you. I'm trying to give something good 
to you. They couldn't help themselves. They looked at the nation around them and the practices and everything they had going on, and they couldn't help themselves. They would say, God, I know that you want me to follow your law, but it looks like that's more attractive for me. It's gonna end up better if I do that. Now listen, if you're considering becoming a follower of God, wherever you're at, you have to wrestle something to the ground. And one of the reasons that I hope you'll come back every single week is because you've gotta answer this question. Is God for me? Is God actually for me? Or is he like keeping something good from me? Do I actually believe that he cares about me? Or is he like somehow getting these thrills by keeping good things from me? You know, do you believe that God is for me as an individual and that if I chose to say yes to him that I'm gonna miss out? That somehow, like God's sitting up there and he's looking at us and he's saying, okay, eventually you're gonna come to heaven and I'm gonna give you these good rewards because while you were on earth, you know, it was so miserable for you because I made you miserable because you just had to suffer in that space for a good long time. Is that how you view and understand who God is? You've gotta settle that once and for all. Now it's fascinating when you look at the story of the Old Testament and the New Testament and you look back at what the Old Testament records as Adam and Eve, which, which by the way, uh, we don't believe that Adam and Eve were historical figures because the Bible says so. We believe that because Jesus believed they were historical, real characters as well. And this is just how Christianity works. Like anyone that can predict their own death and resurrection and then make that happen. Like we just kind of go along with what they say. So that's why we believe that Adam and Eve are real. And so in this uh, kind of this, this first temptation that's recorded in history, according to the Jewish tradition, the Christian tradition, and the Muslim tradition, is this, this first temptation was that they were tempted to believe that God was actually against the human race and not for it. And the deceiver came to them and, and said, hey, you know, God told you, did he ever, did he tell you not to eat from that tree? That something bad would happen? Actually, if you eat from that tree, he, something good will happen to you and you can't trust his heart. So he's trying to keep something good from you. And so I'm just telling you, like wherever you're at in your religious pursuit, whatever you're struggling with, whether you're like with this Jesus thing or you have to, like you're wrestling through it, you have to answer that question. Is God for me? Is he trying to keep something good from me? See, the nation of Israel erred on the side of saying, I'm gonna look at these nations and that's something good and God is trying to keep it from me and so we wanna be like everyone else. And Joshua pleads with them, don't go there, don't believe that lie. God is putting you in a good land. This is a great land. I have an inheritance for you. I've provided for you. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you he says, if there's something that you own, if there's something you're hanging on to, if there's something in your closet or some secret stash that you have that has the potential to draw you away from your king, Joshua says, get rid of it. Throw it out. Extreme measures, extreme amputation because it's extremely important to continue to follow after God because the alternative is so dangerous. It's a snare. It's going to trap you. 
And then he gives us this line, and this, this is it. This is the main idea. This is the one thing to leave, understanding. And if you've been kind of checked out, check back in with me for a moment. Listen to what he says. He says, throw away your foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord your God, the God of Israel. Yield your hearts. This is such an important deal. This is such a powerful thing. Here's what you need to know. That the kingdom of God is a kingdom of conscience. That's the way that the kingdom of God is designed to operate. That it's an inside-out kind of kingdom. That God wants to do something inside of you that impacts the way that you live outside of you. So you would say, hey God, renew my mind. Help me to think like you think. That we would get up every single day and we would say, God, if I can just see things on the inside, the way that you see things, then it's gonna impact how I live on the outside because if I see things on the inside the way that the world does, I'm gonna operate, operate just like they do. And that'll make perfect sense to you. That's why he says, yield your hearts. Because what God wants to do is a thing on the inside so that it's an inside out situation. Now the flip side of that is the kingdom of the world. And here's what the kingdom of the world is. The kingdom of the world is the kingdom of of covet, that everything I see comes through my senses. And all of those things that I see through my senses, they dictate my behavior. These things that are outside dictate my behavior from how I act on the inside. It dictates the way I see the world, the way that I think about people, the way that I think about money, the way that I think about sexuality, the way that I think about my family, the way that I think about everything. That's the kingdom of covet, is it's an outside in sort of situation. And Joshua is saying, hey, you are God's people and you are meant to live differently than that. You're meant to live from the inside out. And listen, you guys are, you guys are smart enough to know this. You guys want this. Even, even if you're not a religious person, you know better because this is how we train our kids, isn't it? This is the direction we're made because this is, this is we're made in the image of God and there's enough of us that know that life is lived better when you live from the inside out rather than the outside in. Joshua says to the nation, I want you to be an inside out kind of kingdom. I want you to be the kingdom where you allow your hearts to be yielded to God, to be shaped by God isn't that way better? Isn't that the right way forward that what happens on the inside determines our direction rather than the outside external forces that just push us around? See, God wants to do that work on the inside. The world of the kingdom of covet just wants to influence us from the outside. Isn't it true? Come on, isn't it true that our greatest regrets, each of us, our greatest regrets could have been avoided if we would have lived from the inside out rather than the outside in. So what would you expect a loving, heavenly father to say to you? So here's the question. 
Here's the question that I want to think about as we kind of wrap up our time here. And then next week we're going to talk about Samson. You don't want to miss that, so make sure you're here for that. But here's the question I want us to think about. Have you yielded your heart to God? The Lord your God. Have you yielded your heart to him? And you would say, Scott, you don't understand. I'm not even a Christian. I don't even believe in the Jesus thing. Okay, just put Jesus aside for right now. Have you yielded your heart to God? A loving, heavenly Father. Or how about let's just start by paying attention to what's going on inside of you and stop taking cues from what happens outside of you. Maybe that's the first step for you. Or maybe you're like, you know, Scott, I I started out that way and I just kind of drifted. Yielding your heart to God is not a one-time situation. It's an ongoing posture of the heart. It's a continual kind of thing. So have you yielded your heart recently? Have you said, I want to live from the inside out rather than the outside in? Now, I want to help you with this this weekend, so I'm going to give you a little bit of homework. On the way out, one of our team members is going to hand everyone one of these cards. And it's got a, a, a passage of scripture written by King David, and David would come 300 years after Joshua, and he would be actually the king of Israel. He's a prolific writer. He wrote almost all of the book of Psalms, the biggest book in the scriptures. And he wrote a passage, and the assignment is this, that for seven days you would read this out loud, out loud. Can I just read it inside? No, because I want your ears to hear it. I want it to come out of your mouth and back into your head and into your heart. And maybe you would read this with your kids at night or at the dinner table. Maybe you put it on you know, your, your, your mirror in your bathroom or maybe your dashboard, somewhere where you'll see this. But once every day, maybe even next to your bed and before your feet even hit the ground, you'd read this out loud. And this is what he wrote. He wrote, direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. And meditating on that, you might think, God, there have been so many paths that I have delighted in, that have taken me further into regret. Help me to delight in your paths. He says, turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. My heart, God, has been like outside in. I see and I want it and that person has that and I just need that in my life and I've been, I've been bound in that direction. I want to live from the inside out. So God, turn my heart to, towards what's coming from you rather than what's coming from the outside. He says, turn my heart towards statutes. That's just another word that means like commands or laws. Not towards selfish gain. God, everywhere I look, it's get it, get it, get it, get her, get it, get that thing, get, 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 get. God, I don't want to be bound by that. Instead, I want to be more about receiving from you on the inside, not constantly wanting the kingdom of covet. He says, turn my eyes from worthless things. Isn't it true that you and I would probably have more money in the bank if we had turned our eyes from worthless things? Isn't it true that we'd probably have way less regrets if we had just said no 
And if we had just listened to our heart and our conscience, he says, preserve my life according to your word. So that's the question. Would you take this card and would you just do that for seven days? And if you decide to go two weeks, you're not gonna get penalized for that. I mean, you can certainly do that if you want to. But would you, would you read this over your family? Would you say this over your kids at night? Heavenly Father, direct me in the paths of your commands. I want to be ruled from you. I don't want to be an outside-in kind of person. I want to be an inside-out kind of person. So these will be handed to you on the way out. Let me pray for you guys because I think wandering into this, man, this, this could be the thing that when you look back on your life, you'd say this was the time something changed for me when I said I'm gonna change the orientation of how I operate from the inside out rather than the outside in. God, you would you be a part of that? Let's pray together. God, it is easy. My heart is prone to wander. My heart is prone to leave the God I love because it seems like the messages from the world scream so much louder and especially now in the holidays. And there's catchy jingles behind all of it. All, all that stuff, God, it's, it, it fades and we're left wanting and it's a snare. Tune my heart to sing your praises, the psalmist writes here's my heart lord take and seal it seal it for thy courts above and god just as we would leave this space today i would just pray this scripture over this group of people god that you would direct us in the path of your commands help us to delight in that help us to be tuned into that god give us the eyes to see that the other pathways often pull us kind of off balance Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain because it's a snare that only wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Turn my eyes, God, from worthless things. Yes, God, let that be true. Preserve my life according to your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.